morning. The first reading is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, and can be found on page 965 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The second reading is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, and can be found on page 1000 in the Red Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maria, for a very nice opening. And keep your Bibles open. And just check if they're on. Turn them on. Open. Off this microphone. How about that? Um, it's good to good to see some of you are recovering from the wedding of the year. I can confidently say it is the wedding of the year because it is it is January the sixth or whatever. But um, it was really a, a most spectacular wedding, and uh, and it's very good to have the Cayley band with us as well, um, playing and and all of that. So um, we're in Matthew. Let me pray. Um, that you will get the sense of what we're what we're doing. We're starting Matthew's Gospel um, at both services to begin with, and then we're going to carry on with the 9:45 in Matthew. So, let me pray that we'll know Jesus for 2019. Lord, please open our hearts and eyes to know you and to love you. Uh, and we do pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, make yourself real to us, Lord Jesus, as we study your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I might now have been found. I'm not sure. Yes. No? Okay. I can't wander around. Well, when I was a brand new Christian, um, I, when I, I was converted, the first thing happened, I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, I, I remember I had this compulsion to read the Bible. And we had a family Bible at, at home. Uh, it was just the New Testament. 
and uh, which was fortunate for me, actually, because I felt I needed to read it, and I got stuck in some of the earlier chapters. But I, I, so I started to read the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I was working. I was living in Chesham in Buckinghamshire, and I was traveling in on the Metropolitan Line to Liverpool Street. Now, if you know London, it's about an hour's journey. And I thought, that's where I'm going to read. But I, I kind of felt slightly embarrassed as a new Christian, so I covered my Bible with brown paper so that nobody would know that it was a Bible. People thought it was a dodgy book of some form or other, but it wasn't. It was a Bible. And I remember reading it, and I got all the way through to the end of Matthew's Gospel. And I read those words, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I can remember reading that and bursting into tears, which was very embarrassing in front of all these people who were in front of me. And, you know, what's he crying about now? Macho rugby player and all the rest of it. So, you know, that didn't kind of fit with the image. But it hit me in a way that um, I suppose I'd just have been, been working out that, that Jesus didn't just appear 2,000 years ago and then he disappeared And then he's coming back again in, you know, whenever. We don't know when. But that actually, in some wonderful and miraculous way, he is with me now. And and he's certainly with me as I was reading this book about him. In particular, actually, as I was reading Matthew's Gospels, we're reading Matthew's Gospel, that somehow the Jesus I read about in here was becoming real to me that this was how I knew he was with me as I read it. And and what I want you to know is, I suppose it's a kind of an obvious thing, is that we often say, oh, God is with you, you know, let, let God be with you. But actually, I want you to know in a real way, he is, he is God with us. And what that means and the depth of what that means, because I don't know what's going to happen in 2019, But if he is with you, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? The presence of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it'll make a difference in in the way you live and in all sorts of things. It'll challenge you. But the presence of Jesus, real. And as you read about him, you're, you're, you're putting the two things. This is who you are. This is what you're like. Well, that's what I want to do. So I'm going to start, um, we're going to look at this, and I've got two points um, this morning. It's New Year, New Me. Two points. Uh, how about that, eh? Uh, miracles never cease. I've changed already. Um, so this is the first one. God with us to save. God with us to save. So let's turn to chapter 1, and we look at these opening verses. Now, before I start, another little bit of introduction. Some of you may be saying, have you read Dan Brown at all? You know, the Da Vinci Code. Anybody read Dan Brown? No? About three, six, seven. Well, that, we don't have to, you know, it's not the, it's not wonderful. But Dan Brown sort of talks about apocryphal gospels. They're writings about Jesus that circulated, uh, in the end of the first century, first, second century. And, you know, people are worried, you know, some people think, well, you know, uh, why, why do we trust the four Gospels we have? Well, uh, my friend Marcus, Dr. Marcus Bockmill, came to stay with me. He was giving some lectures at the Nazarene College, and he gave me this book, 
the ancient apocryphal gospels. And uh, he said, read this, Steve. You know, well, I've got to say, really? I said, Marcus, um, that's interesting. You know, whenever you say it's interesting, it means really. Um, but he said, no, 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 read the first chapter and the last chapter, and you'll realize why the four gospels are to be trusted above all others. And I did, and I realized that the four Gospels were universally accepted by the early church. They were unique and distinctive in their style. They gave a sort of a storyline, the same storyline. And that all the other writings, all the other apocryphal writings, were what we might call derivative of. They just came out of the Gospels. They they weren't anything fresh or new at all. And I, I, I came to the Gospels freshly thinking, this, the, what I'm reading, this is what the early church said. Yeah, that's true. Very helpful, isn't it? Very helpful. I just want to tell you that. Still, you know, some of you may be interested. So how does it begin? It begins with every Bible reader's nightmare, the genealogy. And I was tempted to, to get Maria to read it all just to see if she could. Um, the family tree. And it's an extraordinary thing. And it starts, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Literally, this is the book of origins, the Biblios and Genesis, book of origins. And we go, oh, Genesis, book of origins? That's interesting. Was there another book of origins? Yes, there was, (laughs) you ask. (laughs) And I'm happy to tell you. There is in Genesis chapter 2, but also in Genesis chapter 5, Adam has his book of origins, his genealogy. Now, if you read your way through the Bible, you read Genesis chapter 5, it's a very weird genealogy, right? Because Adam begat so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, whatever, and he died. And they begat somebody, and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. But this family tree... Okay, doesn't have that. But the story ends in Matthew 28 with an empty tomb. And you're beginning to think, hey, wait a minute, this is a new start. This is what we call a new Adam. This is a new family. This is something different, a new family tree. Just a little hint, but just worth knowing. Secondly, this list of people is a very interesting list. Um, Every family tree has their skeletons, okay? Perhaps you do. But this family tree has quite a few. Now, there are some uh, some guys here, but, but I'm just going to concentrate on the women, the mothers. We call them the mothers of Jesus. We did a series on the mothers of Jesus. And they are remarkable women. Bathsheba, Ruth, uh, um, Rahab, Tamar. And they're, they're regarded as heroines in the Old Testament. But... They all have a story, a backstory. Bathsheba and David, remember? That one big sin. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Tamar, uh, she had to endure an incestuous rape. Ugh. And then Ruth, well, she's lovely, but Ruth was an outsider. She was a Moabite. And I mentioned this, of course, I could mention David, I could mention some of the other kings here who were not particularly impressive, Isaiah or, or others. Um, I could mention them as well. They were faithless, some of them. 
But here's the interesting point. Into this family, Jesus Christ was born. And you reach this conclusion. If he has these people in his family tree, do you think he's going to be ashamed to have those kind of people in his congregation? Hmm. Interesting. You see, it's it's a family tree of which he is not, of whom he is not ashamed. And I want to tell you why he's not ashamed. It's because of the two names of Jesus. So the angel appears to Joseph, uh, Joseph thinking of putting Mary to one side, you know the story, and the angel says, um, no, um, no, don't do that, Joseph. Um, uh, you're going to give him a name. Uh, you're not allowed to name him. I'm going to name him. And his name is going to be Joshua, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, because, <clears throat> because he will save his people from their sins. You can see that in verse 21. You're going to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. These people, his family tree, anybody who comes after him, he's going to save from his sins. He is going to be, and you read on in the book, and he's born, um, sorry, born, he, he appears at Passover, and he is the Passover lamb. He's going to be sacrificed for their sins. But he could only do that because of his second name. His second name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is, he is, he's not like nebulously with us in a weird way. He's flesh and blood. A son will be born to this virgin. A son, a human being, who will be God with us. He became flesh and blood to get on the inside so as to open the way out of our troubles. That's what it means for him to be God with us. Now, some of you might have come to the carol service, um, uh, the sort of come and sing, I think it was, wasn't it, Paul? Come and sing carol service. And uh, I mentioned this then, but there was a remarkable rescue of the boys in, in, in Thailand. Do you remember that amazing rescue? And um, it was a you know, young football team. I don't know how they were, 12, 13, 14 years old. And, uh, and they, they had traveled nearly... 3,000 meters into the cave complex. And the only way to rescue them was for somebody to go inside, to dive inside, at the risk of their lives, specialist divers, and bring them out one by one, uh, which is what they did. Um, And we praised the divers who did it, and one of them actually died in the process. But in doing so, the divers had to go through exactly the same experience as the boys, in order to redeem them, to bring them to safety. Now, Jesus had to be made one like us so that he could be a sacrifice instead of us, you see. He had to be one like us. And so Jesus, as it were, got in on the inside to open a way out for us. That's pretty incredible. No wonder, then, that Matthew says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, they shall praise him. They'll say, this is the one that was spoken about in Isaiah chapter 7 to chapter 11, the wonder child. You know, he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all those titles. This is him. And Matthew, I know just little details, but you can just note it down. Matthew changes the, the quotation from Isaiah chapter 7. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, it's the virgin who says he should be called 
Emmanuel. But here, it's they will call him Emmanuel. I don't think it means Mary and Joseph. I think it means his family tree. Not just the family tree that was in the past, but the family tree that come out of the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing. All those who repent and believe the gospel are part of this family and they will declare him to be God with us and they will worship him because he's the God who came to save. And no other religion does that. Just making the point, no other religion does that where he comes as one of us um, to save us. Oops, there we are. He is with us as one of us. So that shows, at this particular point, his level of commitment to us. And if you ever doubted that, when you say God with us, is he God with us? Well, he was committed enough to do that. So that's my point, number one. But here's the second point. God with us to stay. Let's jump to the end of the book. Okay, this is just an introduction to Matthew. But you'll find the same idea at the end of Matthew's Gospel. At the end uh, of, of Matthew, it's always bad to look at, <laughs> look at a novel and see how it finishes, but this is what we're doing. Uh, for this Jesus who came and taught and did miracles, died and rose from the dead, stands on an unnamed mountain, somewhere between heaven and earth, as it were, um, and uh, sees them one last time and co- um, commissions them to go and make disciples and expand this kingdom... And then he says, although it's the last time they will see him, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Same idea. I'm with you. You see? It's interesting, isn't it? You kind of go, there must be thing. Must be, there must be something in this. I am with you, although not seeing Jesus, yet somehow present with us. It's extraordinary to see that. And... Uh, Uh, Literally, that means, I am with you the whole of every day. When it says, I'm with you always. Apparently, there's an idiom book out, somebody like Charlie Moore wrote. Um, I'm with you the whole of every day until the completion of the ages. Now, I want to just unpack that little phrase and say, okay, he's... He didn't just come to visit. He came to remain in some particular way. How do I know him with me now? Four ways. Okay, you've already sussing out now that my new start for the new year is actually a six-point sermon. But anyway, here we go. Or whatever, five points. But here we go. He is with you as the Lord of all, or Lord of all history. So this... He stands on the mountain and he says this, this wonderful statement, all authority, all these alls, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just a note there, heaven and earth seems to come up so often in Matthew's gospel. He's the kingdom of heaven. And then we're to pray the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, right, his kingdom um, is now over all of heaven and all of earth. It, it's as if the Lord has exalted him to this, this place. And what does that mean? It means that nothing can happen that is not under his control. It also means very, very definitely that if you're in his kingdom, that you are under him as well. 
And, and as we go and expand this gospel, and as we preach, we're to teach people in his name, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, there's a trinity there, and, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Notice that none, none, none of Jesus' words are out of date. None of Jesus' words are out So his teaching on marriage, still the same. Don't let anybody tell you it's different. <laughs> but, but, what am I saying? What am I saying? This is the point. If he's in charge of everything, as you go living for him, there is no need to fear because he is with you. And his kingdom principle of death and resurrection applies to your life. What do I mean by this? Okay, take a deep breath. People and Satan may throw their worst at you. The world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? They're a pain, aren't they? Let's be honest. They're a pain. You're trying to follow the Lord? Temptation. You know, you're trying to do the right thing. And, you know, you can be in church, and then the worst thought comes into your mind. So where did that come from? <laughs> Get out, you know. But, what a, dear me. And then... You think, I'm going to speak up for Jesus, and everybody's against you. And you think, oh, this is hopeless. Or you hit a circumstance that's really difficult. And we've hit some pretty difficult circumstances. Very challenging circumstances. What is the point? My death and resurrection principle applies. You might say, how can God bring anything good out of this situation? But Jesus says, don't you see, you know, I died. And they thought it was the worst thing that happened. But I rose again. <laughs> and it was the saving of many people's lives. It was the saving of many. God brought extraordinary good out of that. And so I want to say at the beginning of 2019, do not fear. Some of us, I'm one of them, are prone to anxiety. Do not fear. He is with you. And the death-resurrection principle applies. He will bring good. It's extraordinary. He's with you. You see, that's what it means. Okay, second way he's with you. He's with you in his word and his gospel. Now, we are to spread this gospel. Uh, you, 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 you see that there's a, there's a commission to spread the gospel. And as you do that, Jesus says, I'm with you in that. Some of you are very much involved in mission. Um, uh, you know, I'm just seeing people from Friends International, you know, but there's other people from uh, involved in, um, uh, in all kinds of things. But he's with you in that. Um, and, and, and you find that Christianity must spread or else it will decay. But what power have you um, to see lives change? I'm starting uh, uh, looking at, a Christianity, discovering Christianity group, exploring Christianity group on Thursday, just an initial meeting. Some of you might be coming, or friends might be coming. What power do I have to change anybody's life? I don't. But he is with the word as it is preached. He is with not only the reading of it, but the explaining and the teaching of it. Big thought, this. What do I mean by that? Okay, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. 
after Jesus had died and risen again. And in his letter, chapter 2, verse 17, he says this to the Ephesians. Christ came and preached peace to you. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. But Jesus wasn't in Ephesus. He wasn't there. But you see, when the message was preached, they heard Christ. It was Christ they heard. The living Christ with them in the preaching. And when you read the Bible, when you, I don't mean just curse or just read over it, but meditate and think on it. Christ is preaching to you. He's speaking to you. He's with you. That moment I had on, on the tube as I was reading it, it became clear, that's right. This Jesus speaking to me now and saying he is with me. So St. Augustine uh, was, was converted uh, in this manner. Now, St. Augustine's an interesting guy. He, he struggled with um, all sorts of temptations and he, he kept failing and he kept thinking, I've got to be a good person, got to be a good person, then I'll be a Christian. And he couldn't. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. And uh, uh, then he was speaking, he said, he says, I was speaking with God and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when, and this is in his words, lo, I heard from a neighboring house a voice, maybe a boy, maybe a girl, I know not. They were chanting and often repeating these words, take up and read, take up and read. In li- literally writes in the Latin, tole lege, take up and read. And so he gets hold of a Bible, opens it to the first page, and he starts to read. And his, his reaction to this was, this is, he said, instantly, at the end of this uh, passage that I read, by a light, as it were, of serenity, it infused my heart, and all darkness of doubt vanished away. As he read, Christ was with him. So you can't have Christ apart from the Bible. And you don't read the Bible as just an academic book, you know, comprehension thing. As he read it, Christ was with him. Whoa. So do read. Um, And he's with you in the Christian community. Uh, Lo, I am, or surely I'm with, with you. That word you is plural. So it's not, uh, you can try and be a Christian by yourself. And I don't know, some of you maybe have gone home and, you know, you've hardly been to church for, for a couple of weeks and it's hard work, isn't it? No, yeah? Oh, okay. Um, I think it is. You know, I miss you when I'm away on holiday. You know, I mean, I don't miss you to begin with, but uh, do, after a while I do miss you, you know. And uh, I think, oh, where's, where's my brothers and sisters who's going to really stir me up in the faith? And, uh, and I find that enormously helpful. So just keep coming to Christ, keep coming to groups. That's why we do groups. Um, come to my house to do that Christianity Explored group. You'll, 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 you'll meet Christ in that. Now, sometimes when you're with two or three as you're talking together, Jesus says this in chapter 18, um, there was a church discipline issue. And, and uh, he says, where two or three gather together in my name, I'm with them. And it's as if... Jesus is part of the discipline process for helping somebody come back to the Lord. But I mean, I've, I've, I've noticed that sometimes. Have you not noticed it? Your pastor, your house group leader, or just a fellow sister or brother in the Lord speaks something to you. They, they challenge you sometimes. Uh, I remember somebody saying to me, 
Steve, you're not being entirely truthful. You know, I'm sort of bending the story a bit. <laughs> and uh, as that person said it, it was as if Jesus had spoken to me. I can't, I can't be like that. You know, I'm a pastor. I speak true words. James 3 came to mind. Huh, it was as if I heard it as from Christ. Or encouraging you, and you hear it as of Christ. Or sometimes saying, you're forgiven, that's what the gospel is, absolving you, you know. And, and you hear it as if Jesus is saying it, you know. You say, oh, yeah, thank you for saying that. It's like as if Jesus said it. And finally, as I finish, he's with you at the end and to the end. Oh. This same Jesus you read about in the book, and you know through his promise, is, is the one you will see one day. So really, literally, heaven will come to earth. Uh, and uh, this period of sort of heaven and earth being slightly separated, as it were, and Jesus will come. It will be, if you're a believer, a great day. If you're not a believer, not a good day. Um, but it will be, as, as a believer, like the end of all stories that have ever been told. All fairy stories. Uh, Tolkien wrote a little, a little essay on fairy stories. You know, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings. And um, you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> it's just that I'm always talking about Lord of the Rings, so this is another book he wrote, okay? <laughs> and he said that all good fairy stories have a proper happy ending. And, and you, you know that the happy ending is going to come with this moment where it's called The Turn. In the book, there's this moment where you suddenly think, oh, I think it's going to work out. It's going to work out. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't deny the existence of the sorrow or the failure, but it gives you a fleeting glimpse of joy. It's like a word of grace to you, sudden miraculous grace. And he says, it's, it's, it hits you that it's going to be all right. And he says it like this, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. It's a good writer, isn't he? It's just a stab of joy that it's going to be okay. And we can know that now because, you see, I'm with you always to the end of the age and it will work out. How wonderful is that? Well, in 1614, which was before I was born, <laughs> a famous preacher called Lancelot Andrews, he was the Bishop of Chichester, I think, um, and a Bishop of somewhere else as well, um, but he wrote the King James Bible. Uh, he was part of the writing of the King James Bible. And he's preaching to the King of England at the time. He's preaching on Christmas Day, on the verse from Isaiah, and a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. And he said, in closing this, the clue is in the name, he said. Uh, El stands for God in, in Hebrew, and uh, Emmanuel stands for with us. 
and and properly, God should come before us, of course. So his name should be El Emanu. But he said, that is not how the word is. It is Emanu El. God puts us before him. Do you see? He is the with us God. He is the with us God. Do not doubt his commitment to you. And determine to know his presence more as you open his word and as you share his gospel and as you trust him for the future with all of those, all of those points and as you meet with one another and assured that he'll be with you to the end. It is a wonderful and extraordinary thing, isn't it? And I think it should make you cry really, shouldn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we are looking forward to studying your word. And we pray, Lord, as we do that, that as we study this over the next few weeks and and maybe months if we're at the earlier service, that we will know you, Lord Jesus. You'll be with us. And yes, it is a terrifying thing to have a Holy One, the Son of God, amongst us. But it is more than that. It is a wonderful thing. And we need not fear. He is with us. And we will know him through one another, through his word, And all the way through our lives, he'll never leave us. He is the with us God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are that. Amen. Well, we're going to sing um, a song. It's a new song now. um, And it is properly a call and answer song. Um, And uh, you can see there's a a repetition. Uh, is Is he worthy? Is he worthy? It's called... Uh, he is, he is, or he, or he does, or whatever. Um, but we thought that we'd, we'd get you to sing all of it. Um, but if you're unsure of the melody, you can at least come in pretty strongly with he is, or answer the question. Um, so we'll take a little while to pick it up, but the band will just, will just sing it through, and by the time you get to the end, you will get a sense of what it is that Jesus is with us. He is, he is with us. Stand. <laughs>